Today's episode of In Our Tracks is brought to you by Blue Bonnet Feeds, an NRHA corporate partner. It's actually the perfect fit for this episode because our guest Trevor Dare is a Blue Bonnet Feeds pro rider. Trevor's been feeding his horses Blue Bonnet for more than eight years, since his time at Todd Crawford's. We expect so much out of our rating horses, and Blue Bonnet understands that this starts with how our horses feel. Only the best ingredients make it into Blue Bonnet Feeds. In fact, they test all ingredients at the mill before they even make it off the truck, and they're not afraid to turn it away if it doesn't meet their quality standards. Not to mention, Blue Bonnet lists all of the ingredients by their true names on every feed tag so you know exactly what your horse is eating. Blue Bonnet's Feeds has options for performance horses at every stage of life. Trevor, specifically, feeds the Horseman's Elite line, which is perfect for a large barn that wants the flexibility to add supplements to meet the individual needs of each horse. Learn more at bluebonnetfeeds.com. Welcome to Season 2 of In Our Tracks, a project from the National Reining Horse Association. I'm your host, Jennifer Paulson. We're here to honor the history of reining, discuss current events and trends, and look ahead at the opportunities this sport has in its future. Reining's rich heritage includes vibrant personalities we're excited to share with you, along with honoring the horses and events that have made this sport the international phenomenon it is today. If you like what you hear, please be sure to leave a review. And thank you for listening to In Our Tracks. Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode two of season two of In Our Tracks, uh, official podcast of the National Reining Horse Association. Today, we have uh, NRHA professional Trevor Dare here to talk to us. Um, he trains top reining horses out of Silver Spurs Equine, Oklahoma, in Purcell. He's a regular in the finals of majors, major events and has more than $600,000 in NRHA lifetime earnings. So uh, let's get to know Trevor really quick with some icebreaker questions in our large fast round. So Trevor, first of all, what is your favorite food to have in the truck when you're hauling down the road? Uh, my favorite food to have in the truck while I'm hauling would have to be uh, Reese Cups and the Red Bull. <laughs> Good deal. Um, what are you listening to when you're when you're going to a horse show? Uh, I'm I'm kind of a old soul when it comes to music. I like to listen to like old country music, like Chris Ledoux, some Marty Robbins. You know, that's what I call the good stuff. The real cowboy stuff. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I don't think I'm a real cowboy, but I can pretend. <laughs> All right. Um. So far in your fairly young career, what's your most memorable accomplishment horseback? Uh, I would have to say probably being third at the NRHA Futurity a few years ago. I don't remember which year exactly, but um, that that one was you know very very memorable for me. Yeah, that makes for a great night out there. Um, and what's your favorite trait in a horse? Uh, a, a really good, strong mind. I think a good-minded horse can, you know, can overcome a lot of, you know, maybe a little bit of a lack in talent. Um, but if I've got a horse that I feel is mentally always there for me and trying really hard, you know, that's 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 very important to me. Definitely. And finally, um, what's the most common advice you give to one of your non-pros before they go in the show pen? I would say I almost always tell them to take their time and have fun. Uh, Non-pros, sometimes, you know, nerves get in the way and things start to happen a little bit quick for them. So I think they need to take their time. But, you know, they do this to have fun. This is a hobby. This is, you know, they're supposed to have fun when they go in there. Right. That's great advice. All right, Trevor. So you're a, literally a lifelong horseman um, coming from yep. parents who ride as well. So let's literally kind of start at the beginning um, with your childhood growing up horseback. Um, you know, you have your, your dad 
Rusty and your uncle Rocky, who are influential trainers, and your mom is, you know, a noted coach. Can you tell us about growing up with that kind of legacy and how your life as a young horseman might have been different than um, your peer, other peers as youth riders? Uh, my life might have been a little bit different because it's like you said, I it's it's just how I grew up. I didn't know any other way of life from you know before I could walk or even know what was going on. My parents had me sitting on a horse, uh, you know, walking around with them or soon as I was big enough to ride by myself it, it's just it was what I did and it was what I loved from the very beginning uh you know every day I had to go to the barn and you know maybe I didn't ride but I was in the barn it was just you know we surrounded ourselves by the horses and it was my family's business and and their love and it you know it obviously was my love well, and even just being around them from that young of an age and having the influence around, um, it has to really elevate your horsemanship skills as far as horse care and um, knowing what you're recognizing and you know when a horse might be a little bit off, having that kind of natural intuition has to be a unique trait for you too. Yeah, it, it definitely helped a bunch uh, because w- my family, you know, we love animals they're not just a business and not just a way of income. I mean, we had horses and we had dogs, we had some barn cats, but the the animals were, you know, members of the family, whether we owned them or whether they were a customer's horse. And it's just how myself and my sister were raised that, you know, they're, they're individuals just like people. Right. So, um, as a youth, you were super competitive, um, in AQHA and NRHA events, but on top of that, you competed, um, in the Interscholastic Equestrian Association, which is a group for riders, uh, grades six through 12th. Um, and they're, they're also a partner of NRHA and was you getting involved with IEA? Was that part of your mom's influence? And, um, in what ways did that experience help you become a even better horseman? it was it was you know totally to do with my mom she started an equestrian team years ago and you know for sure i was in high school and she had a team i was going to ride on it um and i think that it was you know it was influential it gives you a chance that you know you're not taking your own horse to the horse show to show right you're not riding you know a horse that you've been coached on over and over and over again you show up to the horse show and you ride the horses that are there. So it kind of gives you some experience with kind of going with the flow and, you know, working on your showmanship a little bit because the judges in the IEA, they'll overlook if you don't have the best horse in the class, they, they are judging it to try to look at how well is that rider showing this horse. Okay. And so I think that plays over to when we walk in the show pin on a horse that we do know, we still have to put it in our mind like, hey, you know, I got, I got to show this horse whether he feels perfect or whether he, you know, doesn't feel perfect at all. We got to we got to go in there. We got to put on a show and and perform as good as we can. Yeah, I'm sure it um really helped you really tighten up your ability to think on your feet and problem solve on your feet, which obviously is essential for you guys in the show pen. Yes, exactly. Well, um, also growing up in Ohio, you know, um, I've seen that you were quite a competitive wrestler and, um, anyone familiar with wrestling knows that the mental aspect and the work ethic of the sport are really core to success and, um, you know, showing reigning horses, I think coming from my family being in wrestling background too, um, it's a lot the same because it requires that intense focus and discipline. 
and really strong autonomy since you're the only one in the pen with your horse. Um, can you tell us a little bit about how your experience with wrestling and even following some of the top wrestlers today um, has helped you with your mental game and built your commitment to success? Uh, it's, it has helped me immensely. Um, growing up wrestling, it teaches you a lot of life lessons that maybe you don't realize you're learning in the moment, but once you move on with your, you know, whatever you want to do in life, I find myself, you know, kind of flashing back to, like you said, the mental discipline, the, you know, you got to do it. I'm, you know, I'm, I myself, I cut weight when I was in high school to make different weight classes and everything. And you've got to be disciplined when it comes to what you eat and how you exercise and how you manage your, your day and everything. And, uh, you know, that comes into the horse training as well, where, you know, you've got a job to do, you get tired, you get frustrated, but you still have to be mentally tough and you have to find a way to manage it all and do it. Um, when it comes to being the only one out there, just, you know, just the same as showing a reigning horse, it carries over into that too. It's, it's, you know, you kind of learn how to maybe manage some adrenaline and competitive situations, but it's, uh, wrestling is such a unique sport and I love it for this reason. My dad and my uncle both wrestled. They loved it for this reason because you are part of a team. You right. have a team that surrounds you. But when you and they are there to prepare you, whether it's your drill partners in the wrestling room or your assistants or your, you know, fellow trainers that are friends that are around you. And um, also even having a coach to keep eyes on you to kind of tell you what they see when you're riding, just the same as in a wrestling room. Right. And they are there to prepare you to walk, you know, for wrestling out onto the mat or for the raining, walk through that gate. Once you get out there, it's it's you. So you got to have the mental discipline and the strength to be on your own in the spotlight. But then you, I think it's still important to be part of a team that prepares you to get to that point. That is so, so true. And I think, um, too, because there is that autonomous aspect when you're in the arena, um, having a rough go can be hard. And I know, you know, for wrestlers yeah. too, it can be really hard because it is all on you when it comes down to those, you know, moments under the spotlight, um, how did that help you also learn to come back from defeats or mistakes, that kind of thing, your, your ethic work ethic with wrestling, did that help with that? Absolutely. I don't know, you know, how many times that you go to a horse show and maybe you have multiple horses to show you walk through the gate on the first horse and you have a bad run. It's really easy to come out and go, Oh no, they're all going to be like this. Mm -hmm. but it's, you know, you can't do that. You have to come out and you have to, you know, kind of reset your brain and you have to know that you can change it for the next match or the next class. Right. It's, you know, you have to be mentally strong again to be able to overcome those, those bad runs or those bad matches. Right. So obviously, you know, athleticism is a huge part of wrestling and, um, it seems like it's probably a big part of your program too. You know, we've all seen you do some trick riding and your freestyle performances and, and that kind of thing. What, what do you do to stay fit now? And, and does it play a big role in your training program, that physical fitness? Uh, right now I don't do much to stay fit or, you know, more fit than what I am. I probably should do something, <laughs> but, <laughs> but, you know, we, we work long hours. Um, I think it's just 
you know, wrestling kind of prepared me through life because I wrestled for so long to, to just kind of know how to work to stay fit, work right. hard and be able to, you know, work through the long days and not weaken. Um, obviously, I think athleticism is very important when you're training a horse because there's different situations. A horse jumps, a horse, you know, spooks or when you're getting a horse to perform at a very high intensity. I think it takes some athleticism and a certain degree of fitness to be able to stay with them and, you know, not knock them off balance or, you know, maybe not get bucked off. For sure. And that aspect of you being, you know, fit in, in the saddle so that you can not get in their way. Right. Um, and you're right. <laughs> so... Yeah. that And that's what I mean by stay with them and not knock them off balance. We're trying to, train these horses to perform at an extremely high level and we're asking them to do some high intensity maneuvers now i think that as a rider as a trainer or whatever we need it's our responsibility to keep ourselves in some kind of a shape so that we can be there with them and not be getting in their way when we get them to that level right for sure so um let's take it back to the horses then since we've kind of gotten around to that um Tell me about a Rainer that you've shown or had connections to that, that played a major role in the rider you are now. And how did that horse come into your life and what did you guys achieve together? Um, I would probably go back to the same horse that I talked about earlier that I was third at the reigning Futurity on. His name was Extra Dunstep. Right. Um, I called him and everybody that was close to me and is still close to the horse call him Angelo. <laughs> uh I would have to say that that horse was, you know, a huge influence to me and my thought on horses because he was a horse that throughout his two and three year old year was, um, underestimated. Okay. He wasn't the one that walked in the arena and everybody thought, Holy smokes, that's the, that's a champion right there. But he was always extremely good minded. He was always extremely disciplined and he had a really big heart. And so he was kind of a horse that I just attached myself to early because I felt like every time I rode him, he was trying really hard for me. So I thought, well, I'm going to try really hard for him. And like I said, throughout the year, he was, for lack of better words, he was kind of average. Yeah. And, um, and it was questioned. I was only eligible for the level four open that year. And it was questioned on, is this horse good enough? for us to hang on to, to show at the futurity. And there was just kind of something inside me that said, Hey, I believe in this horse. Like we got it. We got to continue. We've, I got to show him at the futurity. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, sure enough, first go around at the futurity. I believe it was a, he marked a two twenty two and a half. And so it was like, he went from being this really cute, you know, very nice, but still, on a competition level, kind of average horse to being one of the top couple scores in the first go around of the futurity. And so it was, I guess that's why that horse is, you know, became so special to me. And I, you know, even though I don't have him now, I still keep that horse, you know, close to me. I go and I see him at the horse shows and (laughs) the new owners, they love him and they're probably tired of me chasing them down to (laughs) to ask how the horse is doing. But when, you know, you believe in a horse all year long that maybe other people question. And then he, you know, he just like shows up for you in the moment of need. And he says, you know, you believed in me. I got you. Yeah. That's kind of how I felt with him. 
And did, I guess, I mean, it would make sense then that he just continued to accelerate his presence then in, in the, in the rounds, you know, the first round, the second round, and then in the finals. Um, how, what was that like for you to build on that, that first round run and then wind up third in the biggest event that the NRHA has? Yeah, it was, you know, it was, you know, you can't even describe the feeling. We actually kind of took it easy in the second go around because we had had such a big score in the first go. And then in the finals, and I don't know about other professionals, but I can probably count, you know, on one hand, the number of times that I've been in the show arena and I've just felt like everything was as close to perfect as it can be. Like that horse was giving me everything he had and not stepping, you know, out of line left or right at all. And he marked another 222 or 222 and a half. And, you know, I just remember it was pattern 10 running those left circles. And I was on my halfway through my first fast circle and I had another one to go. And I thought I can chase this horse as hard as I want to. He is not going to leave me. He is not going to mess up. He is there. Yeah. And those, you know, those little moments for me, at least as a professional, when you, you take a horse from, you know, you build a horse from a young horse that's green and just learning to a horse that's giving you what you feel is everything he's got. That that's that's what I like to remember. Absolutely, and it really did. You know, I mean, it puts your name out there. People remember those kinds of runs, and I think that um, the skilled eye definitely sees what you felt um, in that horse being with you, and um, that's really exciting. Mm-hmm. So, um, what horsemen and horsewomen do you admire most, and why? I know that you've worked with some really notable professionals, as well as having them in your family. Um, so right. who, who have you looked up to? Who, who do you admire today? Um, who are you working with maybe today as a coach? If you do that? Oh, that's such a hard question. <laughs> <laughs> um, cause I admire, you know, so many of them for different reasons, different areas. And so I call on different people weekly for their advice. And, um, so that's, that's like an impossible question for me to to really answer except that you know you have I think that people need to admire all of them like I said for their own different reasons I have different people that I call for different reasons I've you know obviously my dad and my uncle are regular phone calls um Todd Crawford I worked for him for five years and he you know continued to instill a lot of the same um thought processes that my dad and my uncle did where every horse can make a horse to what level, you know, is up to the horse or to what event is up to the horse, but every horse is trainable and you need to give every horse a chance. So, you know, that, that's, you know, huge for just overall horsemanship, but, you know, I mean, I use, uh, Chiago Beauchat. He was a huge influence on helping me get a better turnaround on my horses. Mike Flairda helps me with my, you know, my rundowns, my positioning in my rundowns. It's, it's always, you know, Carol Metcalf lead changes. I'm, it goes on and on and on. I've got so many different people that I call on regularly for advice and guidance when I either need some reassurance or I'm just stuck and I need help. It's, it's, that's quite a dream team to have to call on. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I'm a, I'm a pretty lucky guy to be able to call on 
a lot of the people that I'm able to call on. Well, and it sounds like too, many of them are, are kind of, you know, centralized in your area there. So they're watching you at horse shows maybe, and um, can give you feedback there too, if, if you're looking like what happened here and that kind of thing. So that has to be super helpful as well. Yeah. And like I said, that's where, again, I feel extremely lucky because, you know, uh, I watch a lot of other professionals at the horse shows to kind of see what they're doing and why they're doing it. And then I, you know, consider, you know, can that help me in my program? Mm -hmm. Um, and the other professionals are doing the same thing because there's a lot of times that, um, I'll sit down next to another professional. I mean, it happened to me at the Futurity. I was joking with Andrea Fapani for a second about like, oh, good, you're sitting next to me. Maybe I can figure something out. <laughs> and, you know, he kind of reassured me. He's like, no, you're, you know, you're doing good. He said, but, you know, I think that if you had a little bit more of this right here, a little bit of more of that right there. And, you know, that's a guy, he lives in Scottsdale, Arizona. He's got, you know, debatably the most successful training program in the world right now. and in our discipline and you know i had no idea he was paying that close of attention but it's the same thing we're all watching each other trying to you know get get a little little bit of improvement to our own program you know maybe that's not the case for him but <laughs> it's i'm just a lucky person that you know i'm able to call on so many different people that have noticed little things and they are they're honestly wanting to help me improve they're they're you know they're genuine about it so, you know, in this, you know, as, as we're all becoming better writers and, and you a better professional, that kind of thing, um, what's one mistake that, that you've made that you've learned from that really maybe changed something about your program or how you saw something or a way that you thought about it? Uh, one mistake that I feel like I've made, I feel like, again, a lot of, you know, well, I guess I can't talk for other professionals, but a mistake that I've made is going in the show pen and not listening to my horse, asking my horse to maybe perform at a higher level than it's either ready to, to perform at on that day or than it's even capable of performing at, asking too much of a horse. Um, I have marked higher scores on the same horse when I've walked in there and just listened to my horse and let them tell me where they are comfortable and um, at what level they can compete at rather than going in there and thinking, you know, I'm going to blow the roof off this place. I, you know, usual, I, I feel like that's a mistake. You, you know, mistakes happen, um, penalties happen, but I think that, you know, over time I've learned you go in the show pen and yes, you, you gotta, you gotta push the envelope to try to, to mark those scores and to try to be competitive, but you can't, you can't um, ignore what your horse is telling you either. Right. Good advice. <laughs> um, <laughs> it seems like you were destined to be, you know, a, a horse trainer, a rating professional just with your background. But if you hadn't, like, if you had been that kid who was more into wrestling and football than horses, <laughs> um, what do you uh -huh. think you would have done? What, what, what career do you think you would have pursued? That's, uh, that's a hard question also uh growing up my parents did not want me to be a reigning or you know a horse trainer period because it's a hard life to live it's it a is. lot of work and a lot of times it's, it's not much pay but um <laughs> but so i i had i did openly and honestly try to think of other career paths to take uh i didn't fall in love with any of them 
at one time I thought maybe a school teacher and a wrestling coach. Um, at another time when I was a, maybe a junior or a senior in high school, um, my best friend's mom was, um, the special education teacher at our high school. And she asked me if I wanted to be in a club that we had called partner club. And that was where the, they would have students come in and kind of help with the class, help with the kids and, you know, just be a part of their daily routine. And so I actually found myself, you know, really, really enjoying that mm-hmm. and being a part of that. And so at another time I thought, well, maybe I could go into um, teaching uh, special education and then maybe have a therapeutic riding program and then train horses, you know, on the side as a non-professional just for myself to show. Right. So those, those would be probably my, you know, my other two career paths if I were to have one, but it's, you know, from day one, I, I guess I remember I was, I don't even know what age, but I was little, I was riding a horse out to our track in Ohio and you had to go down a driveway to get there. And my dad is walking beside my horse. And I remember looking down at him. I go, Hey dad, someday I'm going to be good enough at this. that You can just sit under a tree in a folding chair with your iced tea and you can just watch me and coach me a little bit. Like as if I would be the trainer and he could just kind of be my coach. Mm -hmm. So it was, (laughs) it was from a really young age that all I wanted to do was be a horse trainer. But it is interesting though, that even your, you know, considered alternative careers are still about teaching, you know, you're teaching children or horses very similar <laughs> yeah and, <laughs> and coaching and I guess, or coaching wrestlers that kind of thing yeah yeah and I, I well even coaching the horses because when you said that it kind of made me realize that yeah teaching kids and coaching that's another way that I have always been taught to try to address training a horse mm-hmm. is try to figure out what they're thinking try to figure out why they are reacting the way they are to whatever you're doing or not doing and again listen to that horse and I guess maybe that could even go back to wrestling um I remember how I felt when I wrestled when I competed well or when I didn't compete whether it be mentally I wasn't ready or physically maybe you know my knee hurt or my elbow hurt or my shoulder or something and so you know, that could go back to how I try to address my horses is, is this horse competing at its top level mentally? Is it a little bit frustrated with me? Is there something that's keeping it from giving me a little bit more physically? It's, you know, it's, I guess it all kind of makes a full circle. It really does. Absolutely. So, um, around your barn, um, do you have Mm -hmm. any pet peeves that drive you nuts? that um you know leaving bridles out I guess is a big one <laughs> or not hanging yeah. them correctly. <laughs> exactly hanging them correctly comes first <laughs> I mean everybody <laughs> says that same answer but it's it's a sense of cleanliness and organization I'm not always perfect about it but you know it's I I really like to be able to walk into the barn first thing in the morning and everything's in its place everything's clean I think it makes for a better start to your day right now, being that I'm that way aggravates my wife because I am not at all that way at home. <laughs> I'm just, 
you know, I'm a pig at home. I'm a mess. There's a sweatshirt in the living room. There's a pair of jeans in the bedroom. There's, you know, an empty glass in the living room. It's, I'm horrible at home. So she gets frustrated <laughs> that I want to be so clean at the barn, but I can't carry it over. Even the inside of my truck, it's usually a mess. <laughs> but when it comes to my horses and my tack, I want everything to be very clean and organized. Right, right. So, um, you know, you did spend time um, being an assistant to different professionals and, um, you know, making that step to go out on your own is, is a big deal. Um, what mm-hmm. advice do you have to those professional, like young professionals who are preparing to make that step? What, what kind of things did you learn that maybe you'd want to share with them? Uh, well, there's a ton of different things, but, um, I think it's not all about trying to find a horse to win a, you know, a championship on, but it's taking care of your clients and doing the very best job you can on every horse that you swing a leg over each day. And again, that I think that that is very important to know when you step out on your own, because that's how you create good relationships with your clients and long lasting clients that will continue to support you um, and keep your business going. But it's, you know, like I say, it's more than just trying to train one champion. It's, it's taking care of the business as a whole um, and staying organized. Uh, One thing that I did that's maybe, you know, not that big of a deal, but over the years, I had another professional tell me when I when I first started working for Crawford to slowly start kind of collecting uh, your stuff. Yeah. Maybe you're in a tax store and you see some work pads on sale and you're an assistant. You're not making very much, but you have a paycheck either every two weeks, every week, whatever. Uh, pick up those those two work pads that are on sale. Put them in your garage or or in your closet or something, or, you know, you see a bridle that you like and maybe it's on sale, pick it up. Right. And uh, so I did that over the years. It was slowly. It's not like I thought today I'm going to go buy three saddles. It was never like that, but it was just, if I saw a good deal, I'd pick it up. I'd take really good. If I was using it for whatever professional I work for, I tried to take really good care of it. And so when you do step out on your own, it's, it's hard. It's scary. It's a big financial, you know, commitment as well. Mm-hmm. But if you're halfway there or two thirds of the way there, then, you know, it makes everything a lot smoother and a lot easier. Right. Absolutely. So we've talked about one horse that, that really stands out in your career, but do you have others that you feel like made you or put your name on the map or um, taught you crucial lessons? There was a horse the year before I showed extra Dunstep, his name was extra new pal voodoo. Yeah. Um, and he was the fan favorite. Uh, <laughs> he was, you know, he's another one. He's a very, very close second to extra Dunstep. Um, and I was fourth at the futurity on him. Yeah. Uh, this horse was, he was the one that walked in the pen that everybody said that horse can win. Yeah. He had, he, he was, beautiful palomino his forelock came down past his nose his, he had a mane that went down to his knees he he was you know an amazing horse um he was also a very electrifying horse mm-hmm. and that's where i say he was the horse that everybody said you know that one can win um 
and that horse was so influential to me because I had to learn how to how to ride him and how to train him because he might have made mistakes along the training process or even in the show pen, but it was never out of spitefulness. It was never him being bad minded. He was just that electrifying. He was that much of an overachiever. So I almost had to be more perfect when I showed him than a lot of other horses that I've had some success on. And, um, so that horse, and he was, he was really the first really good one that I got to have train, take the, you know, go through the journey, the whole process of. Mm -hmm. And so that's why I say he's a very close second, if not being even with the, the extra done step horse, uh, people used to ask me they <laughs> my you know every young reigning horse trainer's dream is to make the level four reigning maturity finals mm -hmm. or even to win and he was my first level four maturity final so he, people would ask me they'd go so what's your favorite thing about this horse and i was like oh he makes dreams come true because <laughs> he you know he, he was that first really really good one right I, I remember seeing him the first time and yeah, my camera immediately found him. <laughs> he, he's yep. he's, yep. he's an easy one to take photos of for sure. <laughs> yeah. He, like I said, he was the fan favorite. He put me in some different positions showing, like I said, to, to have that possibility in the air, like this horse can win mm -hmm. that, you know, you, it, it, he was, like I said, he's a very special horse to me as well. So what, what's the goal now? What are you, what are you looking at now? And, and what do you want to, what do you want your legacy to be in this sport? Uh, this is another, you know, commonly asked question. And it's obviously as a reigning horse trainer and as somebody that's competitive natured, I want to win the NRHA maturity. I want to win the NRBC, the Derby, all of those things. But um, if I think harder on it, I always tell people that uh, my goal every year, my goal as a horseman or legacy or whatever is to be a great horseman or to become a better horseman every year. Right. And that's not just winning a championship. That's taking care of the horse. That's being able to make a kind of a hot or fast horse, a, you know, a successful horse or taking a horse that's, lazier uh and making it a successful horse that's uh changing myself to fit the horse to still be able to go and have success and so i guess the legacy that i would want to leave is you know when i'm an old guy and i you know can't do it anymore and i'm walking down the alleyway at a horse show i hope there's some young guy that not that you know kind of bumps his buddy next to him and goes hey that's that's Trevor Dare. He he could train anything. He that's a great horseman. Wow. I yeah. think that that is the biggest thing to me to be remembered by. And again, that goes straight back to I believe that if I continue to try to better myself as a horseman, that the success in the show ring or the championships will follow. Comes naturally for sure. Well, Trevor, we uh, really appreciate your time today, and um, we'll look forward to seeing you at, at the, the big spring events. And um, thanks a lot for joining us on In Our Tracks. Yeah, thank you for having me. 
Hey, thanks for listening to In Our Tracks, a project from the National Reining Horse Association. For more about reining and NRHA, visit NRHA.com and follow NRHA on Facebook at NRHA National Reining Horse Association and on Instagram at NRHA Reining. Please be sure to leave us a review. We love five stars and um, look for us next month.